Welcome to KCast. This is Caleb. This is Chris. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. That was the sweet sound of Norman Greenbaum. Spirit, Spirit in the Sky, 1969. <clears throat> you know, I think the way that we categorize music has changed over the years. Because there's definitely some, like, religious theme in that song. Oh, yeah. There's some sort of spirituality going right, on. Right. But, like, I by no means would call it a, a Christian song. And I wouldn't call it a secular song. I, w- I wouldn't categorize it in that way. It's almost a satirical uh, sort of thing, yeah. Yeah. It's a yeah, that was a that was a flavor of music that you would not have associated with the Christian community, rock and roll especially back then wouldn't have been that stuff. But you had this emergence yeah. uh, uh, in amongst the hippies you had this religious movement, the flower children, and so you yeah. had this this uh it wasn't exactly a church group, but you had the spiritual movement and and you had really uh two completely Opposing Christian communities, you had the traditional church going, the family oriented, the uh, authoritative, you know, that were in organized churches and organized religions, and and uh, and I forget how it came about. I studied it at one point, but the uh, there was a group that reached out to to the youth, and they said, you know what, it's not important uh, that you're a member of a church and that you look like everybody else, and that you're sort of part of this structured, you know. Uh, group of Christians, what's important is that you know Jesus and you go to heaven, and they just took the the you know the uh, just sort of the nuts and the bolts of the ideas of Christ of all just the words in red. So there was kind of a directly. movement of like hippie Christians, right? The flower like children, flower, right? Yeah, and they were all about the ideas love, and we just they're we, they're we all about people. We yeah. love people. That's we're emphasizing grace and love, and and, and, and they were Christians too. They were Harry yeah. Krishna too. There was a lot of different spiritual, and then there were guys that mixed it back and forth. And and a lot of that stuff really clashed. It was uh, really offensive to a lot of the conservative Christians, the 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 guys that were in the churches that were in the you know the communities that or the Christians that were sort of entrenched in their communities. But you but you did see amongst the these flower children, these they were peaceful, they were loving, uh, you know, they were in, they were into Jesus, um, but they were very non traditional and very non conventional, and they yeah. uh, they believed in the you know a lot of these sort of Christian ideas and and. And they found themselves at odds with the conventional Christians, with the traditional church. Was there a band, a Mary and Joseph band or something? Or, I'm not or familiar with it. Mary, Mother of God. I thought there was, there was something with... I don't know. Um, but it's funny, that, that song on Wikipedia is... The category is psychedelic rock and gospel. Two yeah. things you think wouldn't mix very well, because psychedelic, right. you think drug-induced. Right. Some sort of... But gospel, but yet the two together is an excellent result in the song and in, in the spirit in the sky. Yeah, you, you talk about they, crossover they weren't music. Exclusive, you, there's, you know. there's crossover music. There's a lot of inconsistencies. There's there's no. I think there's probably no one consistent uh, way to really categorize your music and label your music. Um, you know, mostly mostly no musician wants to write the same song and perform the same stuff that you know. That, that, that they grew up with, they have to put their own spin on it. So they're always reaching into other genres and adding, you know, taking something and, and putting their own flavor on it. So uh, what you see today is more a mishmash and a mix. You know, the songs that we listen to today are a mix of, of multiple genres. 
and and that's just the mark of the evolution. Yeah. Uh, but you see, you know, music gets categor- categorized according to how the bands dress and the style that they adopt and the attitudes. Um, you have music categorized, you, you know, you have ideas like punk where you have sort of this anarchy theme that unites the, you know, unites the, th- the, the songs as much as the energy, you know, the amount of energy and the speed of the mm. music and the beat and stuff. And, and then you have music that's categorized by, by the presentation of the musicians. You, know, you had glam rock, and you had, in the 80s, we had glam rock, and we had hard rock, and, and the sort of like sleazy rock. And and the look of the bands was very very different, you know. In glam rock, you had guys dressing up as uh, you know like pretty girls, and they were very pretty and effeminate and delicate, and 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 uh, what do you want to say? Polished, you know. Their look was very polished and very particular. And at the other end of the spectrum, you know, you'd have a band like Poison, and um, and very theatrical in glam rock, you know. Brett. Uh, Brett Michaels, Brett right? Michaels, yeah. Right, and and at the other end of the spectrum. You'd have uh, bands like um, uh, like uh, uh, Guns N' Roses mm. or hard rock bands. Uh, you know, band like uh, I want to say something on the same level as Poisons, like maybe Warrant or something like that. But uh, <clears throat> and these bands, the you know the songs they were playing, very very similar. The musical styles were very very similar. There wasn't necessarily a distinction there. Um, you know the themes about you know these guys banging girls and going after women and their attitudes towards towards women in the songs and and breakup songs and a lot of the the themes and the ideas and the musical phrasing and everything was very very similar. You 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 know listening to it on the radio you wouldn't you know necessarily have known uh, which band was a glam band and which band was a hard rock band. The difference was all you know in the, all in the presentation of the band. You know when you saw them, it was you'd see it on the music videos or you know in the clubs and stuff and. And and so there's you know and guys would go some musicians would go back and forth, so you, so music gets categorized you know you can have it categorized uh, according to the you know the the political themes that they have political ideas according to the visual imagery that they uh, that they embrace uh, as well as the musical you know the the differences in the music and in the well I, uh, I like the idea because because when I and, see the label gospel this song does not come to mind it's <laughs> right. very different than. Right. Than sort of you know black people in a choir you know right singing together yeah. it seems like this this Norman Greenbaum that he would appeal to you back in the day yeah that you would kind of yeah he's he's not conventional he's not trendy um yeah exactly um I wasn't you know that was it was it was more or less before my time it was sixty nine so I was yeah. about four years old when that song came out <laughs> so I think I probably first heard it in the mid seventies or something like that you know uh, and but I. Uh, and it was confusing to listen to. And it's about this was death, a, essentially. When you went in kind of this happy way, right? Uh, right. It's it's about what happens to you when you die. Uh, but you hear the song and you're thinking it's rock and roll. It's you know psychedelic. It's mm-hmm. it, you, you're not thinking you know this is a spiritual song. But everything that he's talking about is straightforward. Uh, you know, uh, spirituality and and Christianity and. And and it's really kind of a song mocking Christian Christianity. The guy's you know he's not talking about he's not talking about how much he enjoys Jesus or the kind of thing that you would expect in a gospel song, where he's talking about how much he loves God or all the ways that you know God presents Himself to us or the struggles that a Christian has. He's just about doesn't he well, say I've I, I got a go friend to in Jesus? I want to part. I, yeah, you want to have a friend in Jesus? Yeah. 
but because he wants to go to heaven when he dies, it's just it's just that simple to him. He doesn't want to go to. I follow his logic on that, <laughs> it's, I, but it's straightforward. It's yeah. not because he loves God or because There's God's truth beautiful in this or arts, anything. You know? It's just bare bones. Your bare bones spiritual message. Yeah. It's it's so and so. It's very cutting to the quick. It's like like, like I say. It's it's it's. It's a mockery of of Christianity in a lot yeah. of ways. It's like you want to be a Christian, just you're just trying to, you know, you, you don't care anything about God. You just you just want to go to heaven, and that's as simple as it gets for you. You know, you. I imagine Norman probably had some, some like struggles. crazy near death drug experience. Yeah, but he doesn't mention any of that in the songs. So. No, but like, <laughs> well, I mean, don't we all? Don't we all? At some point, we get to him know, even more so though, just being in in the music scene, right? Like right. that, where you know he found some. I some I, I kind of think of that song at the end of the day after listening to it bunches of times and and, diff- and different friends of mine. That song, as much as anything, reminds me of Jesus is just all right. Yeah, right. Well, are you offended by the song? I mean, uh, should no. a Christian be offended? No, by it? pardon. Uh, I don't find it offensive. I, I think he's not making. Yeah, he, he's he's not making. If fun your motivation of, is to go to heaven, then that's he's yeah a good I would, reason to start I would, with. I would say, if least. anything, he's not making fun it's of a good Jesus. Starting ground. He's not. He's not making fun of Jesus. He's not saying that that Jesus did all these things badly <laughs> or that he was ignorant or you know that. Yeah. But he's. But he is talking about the reasons as a Christian, about a Christian yeah. mindset that that wants to be a Christian because they want to go to heaven. And so, as a Christian, it's like okay, he you know I I I can see where people might be offended because they're he's he's telling us that we're being you know that Christians are 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 not very intelligent that they're not very smart. Most this hippies a, like something. Jesus, yeah. I think generally. He had the long hair. <laughs> I don't he know. preached love. I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I tend to think that he didn't have sex, but. He, you know, he was a you know he preached love, had long hair, he, you know, <laughs> against legalism. I think there's yeah, you can see yeah, you can see. There. Well, he Jesus was a uh, Jesus was definitely an anti-authority figure. He yeah. definitely struggled against <laughs> what I, all things to all people. Yeah, you know, like I, I think that's the root of my love for Jesus is mm-hmm. is that I appreciate that he struggled against authority figures. That's the first thing that I. When I started reading the Bible, that I loved about. <laughs> now, Chris. Now, speaking of drugs, I had said last week that no one had offered me drugs. Yeah. Remember, we were talking about the anti-smoking thing. And probably because you and, don't. And, and just say no. I'm like, I was ready to say no, but no one ever offered yeah, me drugs. You're not hanging out in the right crowd. <laughs> I never I got. Think, and you probably don't have enough yes. money to afford them anyway. So that's true. But I did want to <laughs> point out. I did. I have smoked weed twice, yeah. but in my mind, I wasn't considering weed a drug because uh-huh. it's so like recreational now and, and commonplace now <laughs> that <laughs> even though the it, I think when, it depends on the quality of the weed <laughs> when they tell first graders or you know people in elementary school not to do drugs they're including weed i didn't even think of that even I though i i don't have the card you know i did it illegally uh, technically uh, it was offered to me twice and i said yes both times but yeah. i knew the people it wasn't like a guy on the street hey there kid a... want to take some drugs <laughs> there was, it wasn't a... like that so i was half correct i had a friend who was in a, that memory i had a friend who fronted a glam rock band and uh, I won't I won't say what band or what his name was, but he was he was definitely into drugs and definitely one of the sleazier guys I've known. And uh, 
one of his shirts that he used to like to wear was a dare shirt, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, ironically, would wear dare. <laughs> He thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing wearing a dare shirt one day? It's like, aren't you, I believe you're rather familiar with a lot of these narcotics that the campaign is to warn people off of. Say so you're... You're you're a poster boy for your drug dealers. <laughs> he says, "Yeah." He's laughing. He's going, "Yeah." He goes, "But this lady was coming around in the afternoon, and I'm, it's like, who else is going to be home in the afternoon? You know, early afternoon, coming around giving away these shirts." So I took one. <laughs> free shirt. <laughs> it's a free shirt, man. Sweet. That's the way to go. <laughs> uh, so the dare shirts are popular among drug users as well. <laughs> Whenever I transition to a new subject, this is going to be my transition song. I swear you're going to go when you die. Um, so last Sunday was Mother's Day, and Jared and I were in Trader Joe's getting a few things for a barbecue, and Gary Boosie was there, and he got right behind us in line, and he was wearing all black. He seem drunk you just he he's crazy like in real life this guy yeah Gary, you always see him on the news he was on celebrity apprentice just because his real life personality is so wacky he's just so off his rocker i think before that he did like celebrity rehab stuff with dr drew you know he's always in and out of some kind of rehab uh, i would say it's not that far he's he, he's wacky compared to he's maybe wacky. say more conservative celebrities but he's probably not wacky compared to most of the people in your community he, he seems harmless. He's not like doing the you know anti-Semitic rants or or things like this. He doesn't seem like out to get anyone. He just seems a little like he's done some psychedelic drugs at some point. One of your more successful street people, perhaps. Yeah. So he's behind us in line, and he goes to the wrong side of the cashier. So he's on the side with the cashier. Jared and I are on the other side, and he says to us, "Oh, do you guys work here?" Because we're just bagging our groceries. <laughs> he thinks he's on the right, the right side. Right. And we're like, oh, no, we don't, you know. And he's like, oh. And I say, but we're big fans of the Celebrity Apprentice. Yeah. Right? Because at that, that's the only thing I could recall that he had been in. Ah. I didn't even remember his name till like five minutes later when we were in the car. I'm like, oh, Gary Busey, that was his name. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, that was good. Yeah, Celebrity Apprentice, that was good. And he said then. <laughs> And that was pretty much it. We walked to the car. I'm like, oh, Gary Busey, that was his name. George's like, oh, yeah, Lethal Weapon. and Point Break. And some Point point Break. He remembered that. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. So, random celebrity sightings. They happen sometimes. But, yeah, it was a hot day, too. He was wearing, like, a suit jacket, all black. (laughs) Just (laughs) no idea what's going on. That's funny. I've met... um, at the Starbucks in Calabasas, uh, Rucker Hauer, I've met there, mm. and I talked to him for a minute. He was in, on Smallville, a show I really liked, yeah. so I mentioned that to him. He's like, oh, thanks, that's great. He probably doesn't get that one as much as like Blade Runner or, or something big. Right. Took a picture with him, so, right. so yeah, I see people around there. Oh, I'm transitioning to a new subject. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't not be in a good mood when I hear that song, though. It's just so upbeat. It's so positive. Probably ironically so, because it's about death. Yes, it's about death. It's ironically He's rather, positive. Ra- rather enthusiastic about his death. In this 
All right, so I wrote this little skit. You know, we do this from uh, time Actually, to time, it's really about skit. life, to be fair. That's it's about life and death. Death is part of life. Yeah. So, it's about life beyond life. Yeah. So. Okay, so we're going to do this little, little skit here real quick. Little thing. Hmm. Big Dave is a tow truck driver. As he backs out of a driveway, he knocks over a cone. A woman sees him. Um... Sir, you knocked over the cone, sir. It's a cone, lady. Chill out, okay? It's but, just a damn but, cone. But, but, but sir. It's sir. just a cone. God, you are an old hag, okay? Sir, I was Get just, off my balls. I was just saying. Sir. Jeez, it's a cone. Oh, my God. You know what your problem is, lady? You sir. haven't had sex in 30 years, oh okay? Oh lady, you haven't had dick since oh dick God. was president. No. That's, that's the, your situation. That's not at all the God. case. Okay, oh. I'm getting out of the tow truck, and I'm picking up the cone, okay? okay. okay. I'm going to hit you with this oh cone is what I'm going to oh do. Oh. You you look oh. like a witch. You had a giant oh. nose. You're, ah. This cone oh, this is, is the size of your nose. This is quite... That's this what is, this, is. This, is, this is. I'm going to take the cone and oh. shove it where the... Sundown. How about that, lady? Oh, this is this is quite obnoxious. I can't. It's I can't a cone, believe this. This lady. Is, this is unacceptable. Relax. This is unacceptable, yeah. young man. The end. <laughs> oh, it's horrible. Okay, but there is a story behind this. Okay. So I was I was working on set one day out in Valencia, and I locked my keys in my car with the car on. Because it, it's self, the Passat self sure. locks when it's on. So sure. I call AAA, they come right out, and this this guy is just like this blue collar, just big burly guy, just like talks like a sailor, you know, just complete character. This this tow truck driver that comes out. So after he's done, he's like reversing out. He knocks down a cone and. One of the women who worked there, us or the cone, and he just goes off yelling at her, just in this, <laughs> this way over the top way. It's a cone, lady, and so I'm trying to. Uh, when I just think of little incidents like that in life that are just funny, I'm I'm keeping track. So that was just a funny thing. Whew, man, I did a number on my voice. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna transition with a different song. Okay. It was like really embarrassing. She's like, These are the sounds of Moon Zappa. <laughs> I don't think that's her real name. It could be. No, that's her name. That's what she went by. It is, by. Yeah, it is her, her brother, real name. It's no, the 60s, right? She was born in the 60s. Well, you're talking about Frank Zappa, and her brother's name, she has a brother named Dweezil Zappa. Okay. Yeah. I stand corrected. Yeah. I believe, I believe Dweezil's playing at the... Out here at the Canyon Club coming up really? in a month or two. Yeah, Zappa plays Canyon Zappa. Club, the gay bar? <laughs> that's well, so that, much. That, that's a hippie name if I ever heard one. Moon Zappa. <laughs> yeah, oh. no, well, they're hippies. The Zappa. That's a god-awful song. Oh, that's... <laughs> I, I don't know. That's just not, not You're good. You're not sophisticated. You have to listen to more Frank Zappa's music. <laughs> this is Moon Zappa. I guess he also played he in the song. It. He wrote it. He did the song. He wrote it. He did the music, yeah. But when when your inspiration for the song is hearing your daughter talk on the phone and like a Valley Girl accent, oh, uh. it's I need to get that taste out of my mouth. Okay. <laughs> 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 oh man, uh, Valley Girl. Um, the Valley Girl movie is is nineteen eighty three. 
Mm-hmm. And it's it's fair. To, I do th- this other series where I called the movie that changed my life. We talked right. about Time Bandits on there. It's fair to say that Valley Girl did not change my life. <laughs> Is that fair for you to say? Yes. It's a good movie. I wouldn't call it a great movie. Yeah. It, there was kind of this heyday of these 80s teen high school movies. Some were just classics. They were incredible. Well, in this the, is kind of a, a lesser classic. In, in the eighties, <laughs> in the eighties, there was were quite a lot of eighties movies, Caleb. I've, <laughs> this wasn't a movie specifically for the was, high school teen genre. No, I think no, this wasn't a movie about the eighties that was made in the nineties or the two thousands. Like that, it was a present day film made in the eighties. <laughs> Documenting that's it. true, but in in a post Fast Times world, you know, right, which is probably a better movie about the valley. Okay, right. You Fair know, enough. This is kind Fair of enough. a lesser classic. Fair enough. You had a lot of yeah. It's contemporary. It's sandwiched in between really good teenage movies. You know, it's before Breakfast Club. It's before like Say Anything. You know, right. Uh, it's in the era of the Karate Kid, yes, that kind of stuff. But this is a this is a very sexual movie. It's got a lot. There's a lot more it sex is. in this than the than your other teen. And movies to that its you're credit, about. very successful. Made for uh, three hundred and fifty grand. It made seventeen million. Yeah, and it gave us Nicolas Cage. And gave us Nicolas Cage. You know, if, as if the. I think the Coppola's helped give right. us Nicolas it, Cage. It, it was it was mostly focused on documenting. Documenting the sort of peer pressure that goes on in high school, and contrasting, you had the contrast between the the high school world, the sort of uh, the valley is a sort of uh, uh, family orient or family. I don't know. I guess you'd say uh, the valley is, is a lot of tract homes, a lot of residences, and it's contra- contrasting that where these uh, high school kids are, have grown up, mm-hmm. and and the safe zone, the malls, you have the shopping area. And all the sort of uh, relaxed, established residential kind of living, contrasting that with the with the uh, violence and uh, the diversity of Hollywood. Yeah, Hollywood's what what caught my attention about the movie is there are scenes where they're just driving down a suburban street. Right, I'm like there's no way this is the valley. <laughs> this isn't the valley. <laughs> yeah. This is Westlake. What's yeah, what? This well, is the Valley. Yeah, you're you're looking at yeah. That was like clearly. But this in, is 31 years ago. The Valley, right? A little different then. Well, that you were this looking is at a that time capsule of a movie. I'm okay, like, there's no way. Yeah, our viewers don't have the scene that you're talking. Where's about. all the dirt and pollution and trash? Okay, hang on a minute, Caleb. Let me just make this comment. That <laughs> okay, we we don't. I wish we had the. I wish our viewers had the scene in mind. But what what Caleb's talking about is there a scene where they're coming down and it's basically. They're coming down the a residential street of a of a new tract, and the way you can tell it's it's a new tract of housing, a new development of housing, is there's there's no old trees, there's not okay. a lot of old growth, right? On, on a when you see trees that are more than seven or eight feet high, then that those have been planted for a few years or ten feet. You know, you expect on a, on a street that's fifteen twenty years old, you expect to see some trees that are twenty thirty feet high, some older trees, and there's none. You know, you're looking at this scene had all. all the skies were clear, sidewalks were all continuous, flat, clean, yards all clean. So you're look, you know, basically a track that's you know a few years old, five less than five, less than ten years old, um, and and that's what it was looking at. And and um, you know, it was a flat street, so it wasn't in the hills. 
I'm thinking it would have been someplace maybe Canoga Park or the West Valley or so something you, like that. So you you spent your North childhood Ridge. in the valley. Yeah. And you remember like new neighborhoods and new homes being Yeah, built there was and... there was there was pretty much a steady flow of construction. You had the outer perimeter and and on the as the valley grew, it grew from like you know, from like Van Nuys and Burbank and it grew westward and you'd you know, west the the thing that would come in first is you'd have like the ranches and the farms and stuff that were there in the forties, you know, in the in the 40s, during World War II, the whole valley was basically um, orchards, yeah. farms. Westerns were shot there. Yeah, for yeah right. <laughs> exactly. You you didn't. It's like what? Right, right. You didn't have you didn't have a lot of homes. You had ranch, maybe a couple. You had ranch houses, if anything, um, but it was mostly just trees, as far as you could see, and and uh, and and, uh, and orchards and and farms. And uh, as they started putting in houses after World War II, the guys come back from World War II, and there's a huge demand for housing, so the you know, there's there's business, there's work in L.A. People are working in L.A. and they they want a nice home to come to, and so the valley was flat. It was easy to develop. They they bought out the farmers and host, yeah, houses started going in, and so you started seeing tract homes um, as they got better at building. But in the fifties and sixties, and and when I was a kid, uh, Canoga Park um, and west of Canoga Park, we lived. I grew up in Reseda. Reseda was all developed. You know, was all uh, residences. And Western City had Canoga Park, and in Canoga Park it was a lot of uh, a lot of horse property, you hmm. know, bigger areas, ranches, some ranches still. West Valley, you didn't have um, West Hills was not yet a community. That was all open uh, open hillsides and ranches, uh, pastures and things like that. You had a lot of areas where you could go ride horsebacks and tra- uh, ride go horseback riding on trails and stuff in the West Valley, and and that stuff grew. You know, by the eighties, it was all. You know, all those all those ranches and stuff were bought out, and and homes were put in, and and so that's what you could you know that's what you would expect, uh, that's what you could see, and uh, it's interesting how uh, Van Nuys Boulevard is like the main reference points yeah. used in the movie. For yeah. Like we're we're west of there, we're east of there. Well, we're, Van Nuys Van Nuys Boulevard like, was like a main street for cruising. That was true from the apparently from mm-hmm. the fifties. Um, the, yeah, like yeah, American the, Graffiti style. In American Graffiti, yeah. The, my mom, yeah, my mom grew up in the valley, and she said, you know, when she was a kid growing up in, in high school and stuff, when, you know, the kids, the young kids would have cars, and they'd shut down Van Nuys Boulevard, and they'd cruise it at, you know, fifteen miles an hour, twenty, fifteen, twenty miles an hour, whatever, and uh, Saturday nights or Wednesday or Wednesday nights, whatever the cruise night was. And like looking for hookers and blow. Uh, I mean, no, like, just oh. kids, just going out, and you know, I mean, there'd be some. There'd <clears> probably check out was my car. Of, no, no, yeah, just kids just greeting each other and getting into fights. Your or whatever car's kids uglier did. than I am. Oh. You just go out to be seen, and you know, you yeah. find you know, looking for a lot of Mel's diner. Yeah, looking to meet up with somebody or whatever you were doing, just to be seen and to celebrate life and do the things. So that Mel's kids diner do. got replaced by Dupar's diner yeah. at some point. Yeah, but uh, but we were talking about mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, the movie's about this. It's about a couple things. First, it's yeah. about peer pressure. You know, it's about peer pressure. It's about this contrast between the valley and Hollywood, and and what I mentioned to Caleb when we were watching the movie that what they don't really say or explain is that um, Hollywood for decades, probably since the fifties, I don't know how far back it goes, but Hollywood attracts runways from all over the world. I mean, especially all over the U.S., but from all over the world because it's world famous for for mm. the movies and 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 TV shows. And so you have all these. My 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 brother worked in a halfway house for for street kids, and so the there's all these. The reason why you have so many prostitutes in Hollywood and kids on the street and drug stuff is because these kids run away from you know every kid that has a terrible home life or 
has uh, gets abused or, or for whatever reason thinks they they can't take the place where they live and they you know where are they going to go that you know Hollywood's what they see in the movies Hollywood's the place you dream about there's something going on in Hollywood and and so you know that's one of the targets where you where the kids or you know so you have all these street kids underage kids as well as young adults coming there and and not just kids but you know adults come there to make their fortunes and stuff and they you know it's expensive to live in Hollywood so you have a lot of people living on the street and a lot of issues with that uh, a lot of crime and stuff like that. So, but Hollywood is extremely diverse because of this, mm-hmm. and and in a way, it's ageless. In the Valley, you know, in the movie um, Valley Girl, you have all these, you know, these high school kids, and they're at the mall, and it's safe and it's clean, and everything's sort of organized. You have all these different. Yeah, it's Reagan's eighties commerce, right? Capitalism, you know, good economy, right? But everybody dress, you know, dresses. You have to dress just so. If you're not wearing the you know, the proper polo shirt with the collar turned up or whatever, then you get shunned, you know, and that's what you see in the movie. And, oh, yeah, that guy's, that guy's yeah. a freak. They, you know, the Meanwhile, Hollywood the was about not fitting in. In Hollywood, you wanted just the opposite. Thing. Yeah. Just the opposite. you got to be different from the guy standing next to you. It's all about, you know, making Something some other strange style. Something strange or odd, you know, yeah. was, was good. You, you're trying to set yourself apart from everybody else. So, yeah, you you. you you couldn't look like a valley dude and come to Hollywood. Uh, you're gonna get your ass kicked for just the reason that you're you fit in in the valley. You're a valley. You don't belong here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Nicolas Cage plays Randy. He doesn't even have a last name. We don't know about his parents. Right. He's a loner. He has one friend, Fred. His one buddy, Fred. Right. We, we don't know where drinking. he comes from. We see him in the movie. We see him drinking, and he and he gets into the bar. And so we get this idea that he, you know, we don't know exactly how old he is because he, yeah. he hasn't been going, we don't see him in a high school setting. Um, so we don't know that he's not in high school, but he has got entree to the bar where there's drinking. So in a sense, he's ageless. In another sense, you know, you think like he might be in his early 20s or something like that. Yeah. Um, Mysterious older man. Yeah, but, he, but he's, but he's, he's, so in this movie, Hollywood kind of represents the world after high school in that sense. It's it's just everything that's yeah. not not the valley. The valley, you know, we see the the high school kids are in the valley, in the um, in the mall shopping together. They they cling to each other for strength. They have this sort of a sheep mentality. They're all about who's the most popular, uh, how they relate to each other in a group, and they're very close. And that's because in high school you see each, you see all your friends, you see everybody every day, and you spend long amounts of time. You know, you're you're together for hours. You know, many classes during the day, and and you, and you. You know what everybody else thinks about you is is important. After you graduate high school, it's probably not going to be like that, depending on how big of a community you go into. But you're introduced into a much larger world, uh, depending on what kind of a job you have. You may may or may not see the same people every day, but you you know you have a lot more choices about who you hang out with and what you do after work and and where you go. And and that's Nicolas Cage's character. He's the rest of the world outside of Hollywood. He's definitely not locked into this sort of idea of peer pressure and having to dress a certain way. He's mm-hmm. a, he's about freedom, and you know w- what does he value? You know, and you see him. He's not afraid to struggle with his friends. In the movie, you, you see the girl, and she's you know constantly sort of in this struggle, discussing who the best looking guy is and why it's important to date different guys. And, and what her friends think is critical to her processing because she doesn't want to get locked out of, of her little group. And Nicolas Cage, is, he's already out of everything. He, he has <laughs> one friend, and he goes back and forth with him about <laughs> what kind of a character he is. So, and no one has really any discernible skills in this movie. We know Nick Cage isn't really good at anything. <laughs> he's all personality. I mean, he's good-looking and, and fit. We never see him, like, working yeah. or in a band. 
the the girls themselves yeah. aren't really good at anything, you know. Uh, they're, they're they're defined else. They're the popular kids. They're the else, pretty girls. You know? Yeah, they're the pretty girls that wear the right clothes. Yeah, he's not even like he mentioned his car once, but he's not even like super into his car where we see him fixing it or something. I have a theory that maybe he was from a suburban town up north or something, because he has this distaste for the suburbs from the very beginning. Right. When, when his friend mentions, oh, there's this is party in the go, valley right. we should go to. does not want to go into the... It's he's like, not, oh, he's not the fond valley. of the valley. He knows you know. he doesn't belong there. He's like... He he tried to get out of, of that. Right. Not specifically the valley, but just right. in general, right. you know. Yeah. But But at the same time, when he sees the girl... Uh, when he sees a pretty girl that's in the valley, he's he he doesn't uh, he doesn't discount her just because she's a yeah. valley girl. He's willing he's willing to go and talk to her, and he finds out he likes her and he pursues her. Deep down, I mean, he does try to be part of that world. Right. He does want the opposite. He would have stayed at the party had Tommy not punched right. him. He visits her at work at the food place. Right. He re- he rejects that world as a whole. Uh, but he considers, but but he accepts the girl individually. Yeah, he's willing to he's willing to look at her as a person as, as a distinct person. Uh, he challenges her beliefs about you know why she belongs in that world and and and, and uh, how that you know what 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 it is she likes about that world and why you know he he doesn't he he says that that's a bad place to be. Um, but he doesn't reject her for believing what she believes. Yeah, you know, he yeah, challenges he it. But it he, he challenges it, but he but he's still willing to accept her as a person. Yeah, and in fact, his reaction was probably more against Fred. Oh, Fred wants to go to another high school party in the right. valley, kind of right. sleazy Fred. Kinda, yeah, you know, he's kind of a lovable. He'll, he'll look anywhere. He's that's how <laughs> desperate know? he is. Yeah, and, and I'm the wingman being dragged along because yeah. maybe I have the car or whatever. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, no. Fred had the Fred car. Had that's the why car. he okay. had to go with Fred. <laughs> that, oh, that's why when he does come back through the window, <laughs> he has to. Yeah, he, he needs Fred's car. Fred's his bride. So yeah. But Fred didn't want to go alone. Yeah. He so drags uh, along. so so on that level, it's a story about uh, even about, at the beach, Randy's minding his own business. Yeah. Fred is like trying to talk to people, right. overhearing conversations, getting food. You know. Yeah. Fred's Fred's he's, he's Fred's desperate prowl, for you know? for women. He's looking everywhere. He's turning <laughs> over. No rock left unturned for Fred. <laughs> so were you a Randy or a Fred? <laughs> uh, I was a Randy. I was. Uh, there was the no aloof, point. cool guy. Yeah, you know. more mostly. I mean, there when was you a, try too hard, it's a problem. Winners don't chase. Is what we're getting at here. Yeah, there, Fred was well, always I think, chasing. I think at some point everybody, beca- you know, everybody probably goes through a, f- a, a little bit of each phase. You know. <laughs> yeah. You, you try to Fred before yeah, you Randy. Well, uh, and hopefully and you never saw me. And vice versa, you know, you you know, some people probably go through a phase where they're very aloof, expecting the world to come to them, and and then you know maybe if that doesn't work, at some point they'll they'll try Fred's approach. They'll start poking under rocks yeah. and stuff. Uh, I, I I think I probably started out so at some point. I, I pulled Fred's move where I was, you know, uh, just hitting on all the girls and going from one to another. But but you know, usually usually you avoid the extremes. I mean, you know, there's there's always going to be somebody that makes one of those extremes work. At at some point, you just got to be sensitive and you know pay attention to who's paying attention to you and 
And, and at the end of the day, so Randy for, owes Fred because yeah. it was Fred's idea to go to that party. Yeah. Most of most of you us know. are most of us are are some combination of a couple different archetypes like that. And so yeah. you know, but but so you but you have these different personalities in this movie, of course, that represent different things. And so he keeps Fred around because he'll reluctantly agree to go along and right. have a good time after right. all. You know, well, Fred's is Fred's is but one. Just other, so you know, I'm not enjoying this, Fred. The, you know, the, the thing about Fred is is he's he's loyal. Yeah, he's loyal. And when, so when the Mexican is gonna right. beat him, Fred no, he, right? Fred comes through. Right, and, right. Fred comes to him. Fred's there for him when he's down and when he needs him. Yeah. Fred, Fred drives him out to the party. You know, to the girl that Fred doesn't. You know that even though Fred's not going to get anywhere. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, Fred's got his good qualities, and the significance of Fred is that he's Nicholas Cage's or, or Randy's only friend in that movie. Without him. Yeah. Randy has rejected all of society. I mean, maybe they moved out together, you know. There's definitely yeah. some history there. Right. Randy's throwing up in the alleyway with the dumpster and Yeah. 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 So th- so this movie uh, which, on that which level is a, g- a great scene of just the raw emotion of Randy saying, "Let me die. I don't care." You know, like yeah. that guy could have killed you. Well, who cares? Who cares, right? I he's, got nothing to live for and right. I'm heartbroken, you right. know. Right. He's got nothing, right. That's some real good emotion there. Yeah. It's, yeah, no. So because so, he needs joy, he right. needs sort of that that, that purity or that kind of innocence. But maybe. He, he he lost his innocence somewhere along the way, right? You know, and he's right. become this hard jaded guy, and now he's kind of needs that, right, to balance him. You know, right. Exactly, but he needs it. But he needs a Julie who's slightly more mature than the Julie he's first met. The first Julie, that, yeah, that Julie's that, still playing games. You know? Yeah, she's she's. She's she's a uh, she's sort of a sheep, you know. She's sort of a, she's locked into the, her friends, her little mishmash with her friends, and she hasn't seen the world outside of her high yeah. school group. And she's but she's about ready to mature, you know. She's like question, she's like challenging a lot of their values and and what's good about this. And she's re, she's already rejected Tommy before she's met Randy, mm-hmm. so she's she's already said, you know, it's like I know the whole school thinks that Tommy, but never Tommy's rejects him completely. He's still there as like. A well, plan he's still pursuing B, her. He's still, you know, her, her friends keep trying to push her on her, but she's, but she said, you know what? I, I don't really like this guy. <laughs> and her friends are saying, yeah, but he's the hottest guy in school. Everybody else wants him, therefore you have to have him. Yeah. It's not, it's not right for he's you to symbol. reject. Yeah, the, the, yeah, you have to have the queen of the school has to be with the king of the school. It's not right. And 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 she, and she's like right on the edge of trying. She's like trying to weigh this stuff. She can't really get free of this, and she's yeah. not ready to. She's not quite mature enough to say, you know what? It doesn't matter because it doesn't. At, at, at some point, it doesn't. You guys don't get to dictate everything about my life. But she doesn't want the popped collar, right? She wants the <laughs> pink hair. She wants the. Uh... Well, she wants both, right? She wants she wants Randy, but she wants him yeah. to to she she wants to she wants him to have a more consideration to be acceptable to her friends, and so yeah, that's, he represents that's, that's not going to happen. It's the comfortable. Yeah safe valley he's probably has rich parents and i think it's worth noting julie's last name is richmond you know their parents even though they're these hippie parents they've attained some success in life they finally got married they settled down to some degree well this is it looks like they maybe own the restaurant or run the restaurant you know this is the real twist on the movie is the, the the crazy bit is that her parents were these sort of revolutionaries these anti anti authority hippies yeah, they're great characters. And in this. and 
they fit in society now. They're business owners in the community. They, you know, their their house is clean and it fits in with the rest of the houses in their neighborhood. They're yeah. they're, they're not trying to rock some Only kind of our audaciously you know. colored commune kind of a you know uh, anti authority deal. Now they've yeah. assimilated into society. But we see at a critical point in the movie where she's trying to decide who she wants, and her father is talking to her, and 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 she's bringing up these issues about going against the crowd, and he brings her the pictures of him in his hippie days when he had, you know, his true hippie days when he had the long hair, and and yeah. that didn't match, you know. I mean, back then it was. He looks like Sonny Bono. Yeah, it looks. <laughs> he looks like he, isn't. he looks like a '60s hippie. Yeah, <laughs> which in the '60s was more fashionable than it would have been in the '80s, but but. Uh, but it was still revolutionary, you know, for the time. It was still there was still an anti-authority type of thing. Uh, uh, there was still a and even for the kids, a rebellion. That's of, kind of this this nostalgic memory of like they like wearing the clothes and the mother's clothes, and it's like a doorway to a different time, so different, yeah. just twenty years later from sixty three to eighty three. Well, of the clothes, and and they mentioned he went to Woodstock and he marched on Washington. Did a lot of things on the East Coast. <laughs> Eventually came to the West Coast, yeah, the, the, maybe to leave all that to yeah. go to a booming economy of you know well, I, of Reagan's I, California. Yeah, I I was born in sixty four, and so I was you know I was I was aware from the you know all through the seventies, yeah. pretty much the same. The seventies and the eighties, and what what you got to remember about the eighties, having lived through it, what I tell you about the eighties that was significant is the it was sort of a counter revolution you had in the sixties. You had this major upsurge. You had the baby boomer generation. There was this thing they called the generation gap, and more than they had in years, they had an adult generation. The the people that had, the the adults were the people that uh, had had um, men that were fighting age in World War Two that had fought in the war, or they came back, or the, yeah, they were in their twenties in the war, and they had kids. You know, as soon as they got there was there was this gap of four or five years where they were out. You know, in the army, enlisted in the army. And and they came back, and as soon as they came back, you know, they're grabbing women, they're ready to settle down, they grab their girls, and they, you know, and there's families. So there's all of a sudden you have the baby boomers of this huge generation that came about right directly in the fifties, and and there was this big contrast between all these kids that grew up these, you know, that grew into the hippies in the sixties, you know, became the hippies in the sixties, and that were the baby boomers, and they were very very rebellious, and they were spoiled as much as you know, it's fair to say that they were spoiled. They, compared to their parents' values. Mm-hmm. And they were very revolutionary compared to what their... Their parents had, had come through the Depression and fought World War II and were, you know, had grown up in this very unstable atmosphere, this, uh, a very fearful sort of uh, uh, youth and adulthood. And their kids grew up in the, sa- in, in the U.S., we're talking about, in the 50s, in the most stable, most safe, most wealthiest uh, place in possibly history to that point. And and so the kids were a completely different mentality based on that. And uh, when they get to the age of decision making, when they're, you know, in high school, they're making decisions about your life, you see this birth of rock and roll, this, which is all about rebellion. Mm-hmm. And you see all this, uh, you know, all this, um, un, what you might call unpatriotic activity, just a total rebellion against any kind of authority um, like you hadn't seen and in, in just generationally, you know, just amongst the generation, not this. This this wasn't behind a cause. You had stuff, you know. We're not talking about um, about women's rights, 
that was, you know, multi-generational issues. You're talking about just these kids in this one age group rebelling against them, all these different areas and ideas. Uh, we had revolutions on campus, you know, on campuses and police, you know, kids fighting against the, the cops and tear gas and all this kind of stuff. And, and so this happened. And so you had this generation gap and this tension. And then in the 70s, it kind of continued. And um, you had a lot of drug use, um, a lot of really unconventional stuff, all these different sort of trends and, and changes in music and, and lifestyle choice. And, and so when you hit the 80s, you had this counter-rebellion. All of a sudden, they started settling down. And people were, uh, for the first time in years, um, people were locked much more into, cool, you know. into material goods and conventional ideas. And they just want a, a good economy, you know, good economics, and just a solid and, and, and a sort of idealism and anti-authority stuff that had been popular in the 60s. And this revolution in music in the 70s is sort of settled down in this much, much more materialistic um, uh, kind of a conformity in the 80s. Yeah, it's funny to bring it back to the movie. <laughs> right, well, that's uh, what you're saying well, in the yeah, movie. Yeah, but it's funny so you, that... Uh, the... So you had this, this difference. <laughs> this is the daughter that's grown up in the 80s, and she's materialistic and conforming, yeah. and her father had been the revolutionary. Her concerns are not marching Washington and what's going on. Right. With, He's very local, the very what, yeah. very about me. Yeah. And, and you're and you're seeing this is she uh which would have been much more in line with what her father's father probably yeah. would have grown up with, you know. And it's funny that the parents like they said, Oh, we met when we were her age, you know, around right. seventeen right. and but they just got married last year. Right. When the daughter was seventeen. So right. at least like Right, <laughs> the but whole the, life of the daughter. You right. Know. Well, w when you saw this movie for the first time, you know when I saw it, in, you know, yeah, you're living in the eighties. Those 80s, were people you knew. You were you more know. aware of all the stuff that I've just said. You were familiar with this, you know, this sort of situation that these, yeah. these generation gap and these issues that you had in the sixties and seventies. And for a guy like you that was born in the nineties, you need that kind of context. Like, I think what the valley was clean and livable. <laughs> well, going on here? to try and understand the eighties, and you see the sort of conformity and all. And the stress thing. This yeah. this was this was something that was very eighties. The reputation of the valley. It's funny. My mom grew up in the valley. Went to El Camino. Right. And growing up, when we would drive through to run errands or whatever, she would just be like, "I'm so glad I don't live in the valley." <laughs> so, because there's the houses are on busy streets. Yeah, it's like in, a four lane street. Houses. She's like, I could never live in the valley. <laughs> to put this in context, your your mom lives in Malibu, and she grew up in <laughs> Calabasas. Calabasas. Yeah. yeah. The, the upper echelon of the valley, and most people out there sort of look yeah. down on the people that live. in the She valley. was happy to be in the more remote, in the hills, yeah. in the canyon, you know. Right, and that's that's like another little. Plus, she grew up in the valley, so right. you know, she wanted to get away. So there was kind of always this kind of negative stigma attached to it. Well, but I, I think the growth happened just too quickly, and they didn't too much residential, too much business, not enough parking. The streets weren't designed. The area wasn't designed for that much growth that quickly. Where are you talking about? The valley and the valley? Know, Woodland Hills. Oh. Um, oh. Is that that's just kind of my my guess behind you know? Why well, it is the way it is? Because you never would have like a row of houses on like a four lane street that became like when I go down like um, Topanga, you know, there's like houses on the street, like a line of houses, mm. and no one would want to live there with like a busy highway like in front of them right <laughs> you right know? well there was some areas like of the valley are like planned communities and other areas aren't other areas are yeah 
So, so you, when you, I don't think that's true to say across the across the board that the valley was uh, the prejudice. The, yeah, openly. no, but there's definitely there's areas of the valley that developed more spontaneously, and and the growth was more erratic than others. So, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, you, well, today I mean, are, if you do this movie today, yeah. now the valley is Hollywood. It's the city. And now, uh, well, it depends where you live. Westlake is the valley yeah. now, you know, <laughs> or Simi yeah. is is the valley. The the right. It's gone from suburban to right. To, it's more to, urban to, now yeah, than it used to be. It's like oh, right. Ooh, you're hanging out with the uh, edgy valley kid. You know? Right. Yeah, the valley is definitely more <laughs> urban than. It, but but like I said, it depends what part of the valley you're talking about, mm-hmm. too. But definitely Sherman Oaks, yeah. Studio City, and and Van Nuys are much yeah. more uh, urbane. Then, uh, and I think also people talk a lot about um, when Times Square got cleaned up and you look at Times Square in like the 80s and just all the prostitution and drugs and stuff and then it was cleaned up in the 90s with Giuliani and stuff. Yeah. But I think Hollywood here in the 80s, it's just dirty enough to where it's happening, <laughs> it's there's money in it, but it's it, iconic. It's but it hasn't it's been reputation. cleaned up it's yet. Dirty, yeah, nasty Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. No, you need a nasty. And parts of it hadn't really been cleaned up, touristy, you, you, like it was maybe a decade later. You want you know? it, your city. You want to have a nastier, edgier part of your city. I mean, yeah. that's part I of. I mean, Hollywood has a lot of personality. Yeah. In this film, you know. Well, Hollywood, Hollywood. Now it's such I mean, a there's a big touristy kind of selling point to like. Yeah, it's got more of a Disneyland feel than it <laughs> had years ago, perhaps. Yeah. Or you had stuff like maybe um, Universal City Walk gets built up, the Grove gets built right. up. You have little niches. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah, it gets a little. I don't know what you want to call it. I, I think of it as like Disneyland yeah. words. It's all sort of this plastic, this facade thing that's... And you've seen, I mean, the remodeling behind where the Chinese theater is and it, it was the Kodak, now the Dolby, that yeah. area is is like a super high-end mall yeah. where, where they have the red carpet. Right, as, as, know, a, as opposed to the... Right, but, you know, right across, like, Disney bought the El Capitan, right. built that up really nice. I mean, the Pantages is right there. Yeah. All this stuff got built up in that area well, you in lose, the 90s. Yeah, and, 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 by and, stuff. in a lot of ways it's really sad. You lose these sort of little mishmash, yeah. hole-in-the-wall joints that had been there maybe 20 or 30 years. Yeah. So you you want to have, I mean, for for a city to really be real and have this sort of unique feel, you need these sort of little hole-in-the-wall joints and dives and uh, semi-dilapidated buildings for your drug dealers and your yeah. <laughs> criminal elements to work out of, and that's really what gives the city. I will. I'll give the character. valley this. To the valley's credit, they have good strip clubs. Okay, <laughs> Roscoe and Canoga, great strip club there. Can't get that out of here. You got to travel yeah. thirty-five minutes to get to a any sort of decent strip club. <laughs> In here, the, so. I was trying to explain this to Kelly when we were watching the movie <laughs> Valley Girl. You have them drive. They're they're. Uh, in the background, you have these like pussycat theaters. Pussycat, yeah. And these are these, uh, which I thought was a strip club. <laughs> well, yeah, it's sort of, it's this is something that's happened, a phenomena that happened in the seventies. In the seventies, they first came out with these. Uh, uh, there was a movie, I think it was Wonderland, the story of John Holmes and the introduction of pornographic movies, uh, and the yeah. pussycat theaters were a chain of. Of, of theaters where all they played was X-rated or double X-rated or triple X-rated or, you know, pornographic movies. And and it's difficult to fathom now because now you just go online and get your porn. Um, even in the 90s, you wouldn't, 
you you probably wouldn't go to you know you wouldn't have gone to these places or the eighties they were fading because they of the invention of the VHS tapes where you could go out and get your mm-hmm. get your pornography on on a tape and play it in the privacy of your house as yeah. opposed to having to go out and publicly publicly walk into home. these <laughs> publicly walk into these theaters wearing your dark glasses and <laughs> <laughs> don't want people to see what car you're driving in these expeditions just so you can go in there and get your you know get I thought your it was jellies. so funny that. Randy has 3D glasses on when he's right disguised as a ticket taker. Yeah, as his disguise. 3D is all, is all the rage now, but that was the well, the, the blue red lens right. type of 3D in an old school 3D. And that was a funny little. Well, you had thing. that. You had what was the character in the in the Back to the Future where there's one of the guys as well? Yeah, always has the 3D, 3D movies. Yeah, one of one of Biff's uh, henchmen. You know. Yeah, uh, that movie had yet to be made, so you. <coughs> Back to yeah. the future. So you but that wonder, was in the fifties. That was fifties three D. Yeah, fifties three D. Well, it comes so in eighty three. It's like a novelty. Like, right. Oh, three D. But but where did the guy that wrote Back to the Future? Where did the Zemeckis? Was it Zemeckis? Zemeckis. Yeah. Zemeckis. Did he happen to see Valley Girl and thought this was a good idea for this guy really prince <laughs> character? Did he did he get that from Nick Cage? It's possible. You know, maybe so he did. He was the first guy. He was the first guy. To, Zemeckis put his guy in the fifties. Yeah. So that you know when. <laughs> So that Nick's Cage character. But 3D movies in the 50s was like, what, Attack of the 50-Foot Woman or some sort of creature feature. Those were educational Let's do it in... No, about educational. What, what's coming out today? Metaphors, Godzilla. Metaphors God, they for just communism. Made Godzilla's in the trailers on TV. So what are it's you back. talking about? I'm it's waiting back. for them to redo Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. <laughs> They just might, you know. It's uh, when they have a new metaphor, you know. Well, they're... now it's the metaphor for the NSA or something. Who knows? Yeah. Um, there, there is a a little bit of a Romeo and Juliet homage in this movie. Right. You have the R and J, Randy and Julie. At one point, they're in front of the theater marquee where it says Romeo, Romeo and Juliet, Juliet in the background. And, um, and and you're talking about in the '80s. I, I can't think what yeah. Romeo and Juliet film was. You have a story about Olivia Tessa's boobs, if I'm not mistaken. Olivia, right? Olivia Hussey. Hussey, Hussey. Olivia Hussey, who famously showed her boobs. Yeah, it's in not Romeo at all Juliet. relevant to this. No, but, it's not. But any except, story with except boobs except that is, you brought up the the. Except that you brought up the theme of Romeo and Juliet. There was in the sixties. There was a movie Romeo and Juliet. Which, that sorry, featured, we watched that movie in ninth grade, and the Mormon kids went to the library because they they wouldn't watch Olivia. Yeah, Hussie they naked. would not. There was a few movies we watched in school based on books that okay. they respectfully declined. So Olivia Olivia Hussey, at the age of yes. fifteen, uh, bared herself in the role of Juliet. For this, and not a pornographic Romeo and Juliet, but a, but a, but a like proper, properly done, bed, sincere you know, Romeo a, and Juliet, post postcordial rolling, right? And and this was and this was a qual a, a quality. This was not any way you know a movie yeah, that was no, made was, for pornography or, or satire or anything. It was a, it was a a well done, uh, mm-hmm. but but Olivia Hussey and she was fifteen at the time. Um, I knew her in the in the late. Mid to late eighty late eighties, she was a neighbor of mine in Hollywood, in uh, North Hollywood. North Hollywood. North Hollywood. Uh, lived days. in lived in an apartment building, a three story apartment building, mm-hmm. and we we uh, I lived in we, I lived on the third floor, and she lived in one of the third floor apartments. Uh, one of the other third floor apartments, we had a courtyard in the middle, and so it was one of these uh, sort of. 
uh, box-shaped buildings, but with, you know, the middle section was open, and there was a pool on the first floor, you know, down below, but, but, but she lived with her boyfriend in one of the other apartments, so, yeah, so she was, she was still looking good back then in the 80s, she was very hot, had a very attractive, uh, very attractive figure. <laughs> And, and I you remember were into cougars at that time. I, I was so into like, cougars. Oh, cougar, I was right. into cougars. Um, I had my one of my apartment, one of my apartment, one of my roommates. Uh, she she'd she'd been my girlfriend at one point, and then we had a three bedroom apartment, and we had a different series of of other roommates that came in and went out of the other bedroom, but um, but we had a, a steady stream of. Of uh, cougars, steady stream, Pardon? steady steady stream of questionable characters in and out of our, <laughs> our, our place. My kind of people. And uh, Olivia oh, yeah. Hussey's boyfriend <laughs> or fiance or whatever, he was he was my age and he was not allowed in our apartment <laughs> I, without her presence. <laughs> It was. A, it was. A, he likes the dominating uh, woman. We, apparently. Our, our, yeah, no, we were the we were the red light district as far as she was concerned. <laughs> now, Chris, speaking of cougars, Valley Girl has a cougar. There's a hot mom. Yes. There's there's the it's the first milf yes. way before American Pie. Yeah. The first milf figure. It, no, Mrs. Mrs. Robinson. Mrs. Robinson. You're about the graduate. Which technically, which yes. in the which in the dialogue was they paid an homage to that too. They did. They're they're by the pool, right? Is it Skip and the mom? Skip and the mom, and she's talking and she about says, plastics. plastics. I have advice for you. She's plastics. Talking, yeah, she's she's definitely giving him the whole graduate feeling. Wants the kid that a guy says, competing yeah. with her daughter for the same boy. She says something like. I, I made this delivery knowing you were here or something. He's right? delivering something to the pool. Right. 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 No, and the uh, and then he sees her in the shower at some point. Right, right. So, this movie was ahead of its time, man. This is uh, well, it wasn't ahead of the graduates' time. It <clears> was, <throat> it was about yeah. the complexity of the rela- of these peer pressure and these relationships that these that okay. When yeah. you look at the movie, hippie cougars. When you look at the movie, the opening scene is the girls shopping in the situation the small. Yeah, and and the core group of this movie. Is the is the high school girls and how they're Short relating to each other? Very intimate moments of them when they're when they're in various states of dress and undress, talking mm-hmm. to each other about the boyfriends, yeah. applying the peer pressure Great about scene. who should be going with what boy and how to deal with their. And, and this is something that the girl that and you had they're uh, very preoccupied with this talking about this, and you were telling me the director is is a female Martha Coolidge. Martha Coolidge. So we have a woman's mm-hmm. perspective here. She's directing this, and we've got the girls, and this is the nut of the movie. And so when you have the girls competing with their moms for the same boys and dealing with this kind of stuff, it, it you know, uh, and you have a female director directing this, and, and who is the writer for this? It was a the team, Wayne Crawford and Andrew Lane. So two guys wrote it, a, a woman directed director it. Yeah. who's producing it? And the producer, uh, the guys who wrote it also produced it. Okay. As well, those two guys. Right. So, so... Uh, this is at the heart of it. Is, is so good balance there, right? I would say, and we see we see the boys talking to each other, uh, Tommy and his buddies, and even the concept maybe a woman can direct a sex comedy or you know, right. a sex drama. No, but we see it's not really a comedy, but the well, we yeah. see the boys talking to each other, but not uh, talking to each other about the girls and their their strategies for getting the getting the girls and who's who's hot and who's you know who's desirable and what how they're going to work these kind of deals and and for the party and stuff, but overwhelmingly at the core of it is Julie and her girlfriends 
and the boyfriend's sleeping with the other girlfriend, or not sleeping with, but putting the, definitely putting the moves on the other girlfriend and manipulating each other, and all the pressure that this puts on the girl. Yeah, on, it's, on it's warfare, you know. It's... Right, and and <clears throat> and so we, how complex this is in high school. These high school, when you're in high school, you're you have a very narrow perspective. You, most high school kids, you know, you they're these high school girls were all wrapped up in their own little fashion world at high school and who's popular, who's in charge of the football team, who everybody likes, and this was their sort of world. Julie sort of gets outside of it a little bit when she sees Randy, this guy from Hollywood, and he takes her takes her on this tour of Hollywood and this really kind of an uh, she's not impressed. She's like, Oh my God, this is so ugly. Why would you do this? Why are there all these people yeah. you know dressing so weird Mixed and emotions. Yeah, she challenges his values and he comes right back and goes, Why do you want to you know all look the same? And it's like this is what it's all about is you get to you know, be your own self and you have freedom and stuff. And and she's still not really hip to what he's talking about. Um, she starts to get more of a picture of it uh, when she realizes how much pressure her girlfriends are putting on her to date this one guy that's when she realizes that she doesn't have so much freedom because she likes this other guy and her girlfriends won't sign off on him. They're telling yeah. her that they're going to abandon her if she doesn't go with the with the king of the the with the captain of the football yeah. team. Now there's this interesting scene in the club where he says, "When can I see you again?" And she goes, "Well, don't ask that till later. We're, you're seeing me right now. Right. Just we're just enjoying this time right now." Right. And it was it was interesting that she has in her mind a way that the courting process is supposed to go. That this question comes at the end, end of the day. and he's just like excited. He says, "When am I going to see you again?" He's and she's kind of not used to that. He's not like pressuring, right? But he's just kind of excited and says that up front. And but she's kind of stuck in her ways a little bit, just as far as her view as of of how things should play out. She's got a very structured. Yeah, there's kind of a structure to... to it was an interesting little, little scene. That it seems like such a bitchy reaction to him asking the innocent question, when can I see you again? Yeah, he's kind of... I thought that was kind of awkward. It seemed like the whole his whole date with her was kind of awkward. He wasn't... Un, he seemed like he was very unsure. He shows his cards in that moment. Like, I'm into you. Right. Yeah, well... You know, if it wasn't obvious before... The bigger issue is he saw her at the party. She said, He says, let's get out of here. She mm -hmm. wants to know where. He says, we can go anywhere but this party. He's completely open. He's yeah. got, like, no agenda. She wants to know details. She's very structured. She wants to know where she's... And I'm not saying that's bad or anything. I'm just saying mm -hmm. there's a contrast in the characters. From moment to moment in the, in the date, he doesn't know what's coming up next. He's got, like, no plans. He's just playing everything by ear. That's why he goes to her and asks her, when can I see you again? And they're still out on a date. She hasn't told him she's going home or it's time to go. Or she's given no there indication will be a that she's date, Right. You know? he's, he doesn't know where, you know, he, he's a blank page here at this point. So maybe he, there's a confidence behind his question of he, there's a, he assumes there or will a lack be a of second confidence, date. A lack of confidence yeah. in where this thing is going. He's, he's concerned that there may or may not be a second date or something like that. He doesn't know where, where, he, where he can take her. You know, his he's he they they give you the sort of little montage and he's driving her you know, drives her out of the valley and they go down Hollywood Boulevard and Sunset Boulevard and the Sunset Strip and uh they're in, you know, one of the clubs on Hollywood and all the clubs on Hollywood are fairly dark and but there's a live band. I mean the plimsolls are playing and yeah. she clearly doesn't appreciate the quality of the plimsolls. <laughs> <laughs> she's it's too loud for her. And you know the She's music's too raucous, and you know, yeah, everything's sort of ugly and dirty and nasty to her. And 
He's he's all about the freedom. He's like, yeah, but look, everybody's different. And she's like, yeah, but everybody's different. <laughs> it's like, why don't we conform? How do we, how do I know what to dress because every, nobody's wearing the same thing, right? So, you know, the thing, everything that she thinks is great, he, you know, or everything that that all the stuff that she likes, he dislikes. You know, but he's de- and he's deferring to her. And and the father gives really good advice here. She's going between Tommy or Randy, right? Which, really which is the worst dilemma on the planet because right. Tommy's such a douche that you yeah. really just well, she sees anyone's better than Tommy, right? And she's seen that from the the, the movie starts where she realizes yeah. that. And when Tommy punches Randy, there's such a great payment at the end to that when they're at the prom Randy finally beats up Tommy and he's able to be the the king with her the best part is it's at the prom in front of everybody on the stage when they're being presented yeah you don't see the part where Tommy gets in the first couple licks and he pulls the karate moves on him (laughs) yeah and you don't even see the part where where Randy uh, kicks Tommy in the nuts and gets the cheap (laughs) shot you just see the part after he's already disabled when him, and he's, he's just wailing on him point blank. When he's cringing. Yeah, and so that's what, and that's when the curtain opens up, and that's what everybody sees. So it couldn't have been worse for Tommy there. He's in front of everybody. He's just getting wailed on by this, you know, this outsider kid that who he who he disresents completely, and then the kid takes his woman in front of everybody, and takes him out. And at that point, the audience has grown to dislike Tommy, so they're they're yeah. fine with it's well, a sort of justice. What you're that, seeing, Tommy, is just the uh, worst of everything. That, <laughs> he's, just, he's just the worst of everything that society has. He's he he's a conformist, but um, on paper he's, he's good. You know? He just works the girls, you know, her girlfriends. That's that's the way he gets to her at the end. Is he just puts the pressure on the girlfriends? He he just uses all this sort of conformity, conformity and popularity. And and his good looks, nothing that you know he's he's worked to achieve. Um, what we don't see about him is that if he was an athlete, if he was a star athlete, he would have worked hard, you know, to get to that point. He you would have respected him for his hard work on the athletic field and you know teamwork. He, to be a star mm-hmm. athlete, you normally have to be a team player. Is that mentioned at all? That it, he's none of that athlete? stuff is. Well, no, they say that he's the he's the. Uh, He's the top jocker. He's the, yeah, he's the yeah. champion. He's the best best athlete, or something like that. They, the girls talk yeah, about it, but they but but in the movie, yeah. the movie doesn't show any of that aspect of his character. To be a top athlete, normally that requires a lot of discipline, a, yeah. a certain amount of teamwork, um, and a lot of positive qualities that you'd want in in a character. Sure, the sure, movie yeah. the movie slights all that stuff. It undercuts him, and it just shows him as the guy. He's yeah. extremely competitive and pushy and manipulative. And so, you know... I maintain no one actually does anything of skill in this movie. Yeah, we, yeah we we never... Well, Julie works at the her parents' her place, parents place, which is admirable. You know, she's making a little money. <laughs> right. But she leaves early to go right. with Randy and says she has flexible hours. Right. Not taking it that seriously, but maybe she doesn't have to take it that seriously. Right, she, right. You know, yeah, I'm no, not, I'm not, you know, criticizing her. Right, but. and and if Tommy's a, a star athlete, you know, you you you'd assume that he has some kind of physical prowess and stuff. The closest we yeah, see is where he's, he's pulling he's, his karate. He's good at moves. karate, yeah. Yeah, he's seeing his karate moves. That's <laughs> that's the closest we see, but but we don't see him. Uh, we don't see you know. At the end of high school, you should have a niche where you've you've you've, you've achieved a certain amount of skill. You know, you're a jock. Uh, you're uh, college prep. You're smart. You're studied in a certain area. Yeah, within you, your niche, there. you've got a job or some Something. kind of. You're headed in some kind of career direction where you you know you're 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 developing some kind of a skill. You're a musician. Um, 
but you're headed in some kind of direction after high school. Um, you know, not yeah. all, not all, not everybody in high school gets does that very well. This movie but, was not about that. But none, <laughs> nobody in this movie yeah. had any kind of direction. It was not about that. that bit, and it was not about that. And and that was what was weird about all the characters is you yeah. you never saw anything about that. It was all about the popularity and, and is a big they only existed as friends and as manipulators yeah. and as uh, sexually active, you know, people. Yeah. Uh, same it's thing a, with it's about parents. broadening horizons socially. That that might have been her first time cruising through Hollywood. Right. You know, it's it's possible. Well, no, no, that's what that's what that's what, shelter, that's what was know. intimated because you see when she's going through the place, she's her completely reaction, yeah. she's completely I mean, unfamiliar with this society, and and you wouldn't expect that. In, yeah, in any maybe case. this is the beginning of of risk taking and. Yeah, you you would think that that was world, strange yeah. that a girl that when her senior year of high school that grew up in the valley had never been to Hollywood had never driven yeah. down those streets to that extent. And to me, that's unrealistic. But I mean, you know, I mean, even Fast Times is big on there's the beach kids and the mall kids, right? And then not leaving your area, you know. Well, within much. the I mean, high school, do we, it, but, within know. high school, I, I don't know if I've ever known a high school yeah. that didn't have cliques within the high school. And in California, uh, that's what you get. You get, you know, there's yeah. the surfer kids. You know, even within the, there's high school. Not every high school is on the coast, on the beach, but, but. Uh, during the summer, you go to the beach, and there you have you know kids that are surfers, kids that are musicians, kids that are you know football players or jocks or some other sport, tennis guys, golfers, whatever it is. Yeah. You have you have kids that are uh, you know politically savvy that are you know uh, you have kids that are little Romeos and you know and Juliets and performers and theater kids. Uh, you know all these are sort of writers. You have comic book geeks like and, me. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, it's sort niche. of fantasy. The fanboys, yeah, fantasy and fanboys, um, uh, movie, yeah. uh, movie guys, but, um, but all these you have all these little cliques, and 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 that's what you know. Junior high school, you start seeing people sort of segregating into these little groups where they're, you know, where they discuss all these. All, all, all I'm saying is this: if I'm Julie's father, and I saw that a boy was sleeping on the yard all night, <laughs> <laughs> waiting for my daughter to get out. I'd be a little concerned, even if I'm the cool dad, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's a little, little strange behavior going on here. Is this guy homeless? Should I be calling people? Yeah, that was one of the real... T- that was <laughs> that was one of the really interesting aspects of this movie is the reversal of these sort of par- parental and and child... Uh, childlike sort of ideologies yeah, yeah. in this movie. They're is not that too the, worried about her. Is that the yeah that the parents really? <laughs> gave her more freedom than the, she actually possibly wanted in this decision making, yeah. and and it made it impossible for her to rebel against them. <laughs> yeah, these are some of the coolest parents in any it's, high school movie. Well, the way you rebel against somebody who is a rebel, who is a rebel, is you conform, and that's yeah, what, and that's exactly. what she did. She was conforming, and yeah. and uh, what they missed in the movie. Is if she had, they never talk about that? This, what yeah they what they miss in the movie is that parents that grew up as hippies to see a daughter that's completely materialistic and conforming, you know, with mm-hmm. all her little friends and dating the guy that her friends wanted her to date, that would be really hateful to the to the parents. The parents would be they'd be genuinely upset that uh, this lack of sort of character and this lack you know this, wouldn't that be yeah, hypocrisy? Because the hippies themselves. Became business owners right. and, and respectable members of the community. Well, they're yeah, yes. So they're they're playing exactly. both sides of it, right, you know? right. But 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 for them to be th- free thinking and 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 uh, as hippies and you're rebellious, you know, the point of being a hippie is to sort of being rebellious and living outside, yeah. you, you know, the the norm, the cultural norm. 
uh, and then you raise your kid, and your kid is aspiring to be the popular kid in school, <laughs> and at the very heart of all the authoritarian and cultural ideas yeah. and materialistic, uh, you know, that's, that's the kind of a thing that a parent is going to have a problem with, uh, you know, more so than the kids sleeping around and having boys calling at all different hours <laughs> and stuff. And you do get a little bit of that with the dad saying, Tommy or Randy, let me know when you choose. Right. And I'll support you with what you choose. Right. He's very aware of the peer pressure and of right. the influences and and, right. and wants her to think for herself when she's not used to doing that. Right. And this was this was a thing that you this was definitely a this was definitely it's a powerful moment. Yeah, Chris. No, this was definitely a significant stuff. a significant area for of the movie. And that, but but this is what the movie you know when people saw this happening in the movie, people you know kids in the kids could identify with this kind of thing because they had those kind of a lot of kids had those kind of parents, and uh, it was amazing to see the sort of role reversal between the parents and the kids of who's conforming and who's the rebel, kind of an idea. So. Uh, so this is what was, you know, when the movie came out, that's what you talked about. Yeah. The fact that, oh, the parents were the hippies, and they didn't care that the daughter came home at all hours and had boys coming and going, you know. <laughs> they were they were more concerned about her freedom, you know, that, yeah. It's, yeah. They're concerned about her actual safety and, is, you know, her health <laughs> and stuff like that. And, and she was shocked that they thought she was having sex. She was offended that... She jumped to, no, I didn't do anything with yeah. him or whatever. And they were like, "No, we're not mad that you may have done something. We we're just, just want to make sure you're being safe." If yeah, you exactly. Are. <laughs> so she, I mean, is in that moment is more conservative than they are, which, yeah. which is what you were talking about. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, you have sort of this reversal, but but that's what that's what the movie that's what you know that was one of the yeah. main sort of well, a lot of culture, you know, yeah, going cultural on distinctions of the movie and stuff. So it's an interesting little time capsule. Martha Coolidge went on to direct City Girl, National Lampoon's Joy of Sex, Real Genius. A few episodes of the Twilight Zone. Apparently, there was an '80s Twilight Zone. Yeah, Dick Moore was killed on it. He would have thunk. Um, and some episodes of Sex in the City. So good for her. You know, she had a little career there going on. So yeah. Um, now, oh, it's so funny. So some of the language in this in this movie that they say tubular. That, oh, he's so tubular. People really talk like that? Yeah. Was that really yeah. tubular? This was I'm the, like, oh, God, I've never heard anyone describe anyone as tubular yeah, before. Yeah, in the, in the 70s, in the oh, 70s, the in Reseda. so funny. In the 70s, in, the, in Reseda, the, the, language that we, the language that you would hear around the schoolyards and stuff that your parents were, would want to know, what the hell does that mean? You had <laughs> phrases like tubular, uh, rad, or radical, uh, gnarly. Um, yeah. Which has survived, yeah. not so much tubular. <laughs> dude, dude was sort of a fresh, uh, was sort of was fresh. newer then. Well, no, fresh, fresh oh, didn't 90s. come out to the. Yeah, that was more. That was later. <laughs> yeah, I mean every decade. But in the but in the every 70s, generation has their tubular, lingo for sure. There was there was a yeah we had like a whole different uh, yeah whole different sort of re uh, renaissance in the language there, and your parents didn't know what it was, and you had. Uh, it's what it felt like at the time. What I tended to think was uh, some surfer was choking on a dictionary. <laughs> you had maybe these college kids or something that were surfing too much, and so they're trying to do. You know, you had like a lot of these terms that came from the beach guys. You know, tubular was refers to the 
he's, he's a cool being guy. riding a no riding a tube uh, the when the wave is curled over and you're completely so like he has a lot going for him he's tubular like he's well the, at a no good I'm place. telling you, I'm talking about the etymology no I know of the but it's a what it would it when mean you're the, when you're in the barrel of the wave so tubular was good anything that was tubular was good you highly yeah. desirable to be to yeah. ride in a tube or in a barrel and and so you say something's tubular that means it's really good but. Uh, you're you're sort of this beach. You know, when you say it, you say, "Whoa, dude, that's totally tubular," and and so <laughs> you're using this. <laughs> you're using this multi-syllable sort of sort of you know sort of sophisticated sounding word, but you're using in this sort of sort of a uh, uh, drawl of a you know the the derelict beacher kind of surfer surfer character. So you you want that contrast, you know, you get that word and, and radical and gnarly and you know, uh, so all of these words came up. You know, you, you know, I heard them first from skaters and surfers. Yeah. And I guess on the value side, you know, saying like a lot, you know, or uh, you know, yeah, I, cinch or yeah, you know, certain. Maybe it was more the way of talking than. Yeah. The actual the phraseology. Yeah. Like rad. Yeah. That's like sweet. Right. So how was your week, man? Have a good week? Anything exciting? Uh, I had a good weekend. I went to my cousin's wedding. My okay. cousin, he's my age. He got married. Uh, he's good looking. He's fit. He's in shape. Just for a second time. He's a, yeah, he's a cool guy. He has a good job. Where was this wedding? This was in San Pedro at okay, his so at his yacht club. Long Beach. Nice. <laughs> he's not the he is not the prepper. He's a blue collar. He's in he's in a union and everything. He's in the Longshoremen's oh, Union yeah. and stuff. But he has a the Cabrillo Beach Yacht Club. Have you seen something like it hot? A long time ago. No, that's like the fifties. Yeah, Marilyn Monroe, Marilyn Monroe movie. <laughs> okay, never mind. I was gonna reference it. Anyways, so it was a cool wedding. It was good. It was nice not working a wedding, just being a guest be at a wedding. Right. I can eat cake. No, now. it was nice. I get to see a lot of my cousins that I haven't seen. Yeah. Is is uh, I haven't seen in you know a decade or so. So in a way, it was kind of like going to a high school reunion. So there were a lot of guys. Not, I mean, most of the people there. Not that the most of the people, few of the people there were my age, but they were people that we talked about the kind of stuff. You know, what have you been doing? You talked about your career, your kids, you know, the family members in common and. Just the little ups and downs of life. You know, you talk about stuff that happens over 10 years instead of over the last, what's been in the news last week. You know, so so it was pretty cool. You get a lot of perspective on that kind of stuff. And it's, I, I don't go to, I haven't been to high school reunions. I don't think even my high school, yeah. as, as we missed a lot of reunions. Our school went up. My, uh, my cousin Jamie just had a graduation party last uh, Saturday. And a b- bunch of family was there, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people. And there are just some family members I just don't talk to other than three times a year at family functions. Right. And, you know, but even the, three times you, a year, you sort of have a... Yeah, I mean, there's there's Thanksgiving, Christmas, and right. some sort of birthday in the summer, you know, yeah. or maybe Fourth of July. But you get to a certain age and you have enough cousins and uncles where right. you just, you have relationships with, with who, and some yeah. people you just, you're fine with... You know, uh, just a little small talk. You know, right. a couple times a year. Well, and, well, me and you and aren't exactly here. aren't exactly rising stars. Yeah, <laughs> three times a year is more than enough to keep everybody updated on all the progress that we really want to talk. But it's funny because it it was her, it was her party. Yeah, and I literally I said hi and bye to her mm. and spent the whole evening just talking to other family members, and totally okay with that. You know, it wasn't that just isn't the 
Right. We're just not that close, you know, but so, you know, just that 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 happens just naturally, you know. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Right, that is Kcast for this week. I'm Caleb. I'm Chris. <laughs> Peace out. <laughs> ah! Kill me now. Make it stop. <laughs>